Hello, and welcome to BIA's Leading Local Insights podcast, where we provide a deeper look into BIA's current insights and assessments of local media, data, and technology. I'm Nicole Ovedia, Vice President Forecasting and Analysis for BIA Advisory Services. Our special guest today is Michelle Duke, who serves as both President of the National Association of Broadcasters Leadership Foundation and as the NAB's Chief Diversity Officer. Michelle has been with the NAB since 2005 and has played an integral role in developing the many programs offered by the Leadership Foundation, which we will talk about today. Michelle has been a perennial member of Radio Inc.'s annual Most Influential Women in Radio list, and I can tell you from personal experience, she is a wonderful human being. Michelle, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks so much, Nicole. It's my pleasure, and I'm honored to be able to have the opportunity to speak directly with you. It's great. I love that. This feels like a reunion, so I'm very happy to be here as well. Um, But let's dive right into the conversation. So first, a little bit of background uh, to set up the discussion about the NAB's Leadership Foundation. Can you tell us more about what it is and what the goal of the foundation is? What are some of the things that they've done and achieved uh, that they have done to achieve those goals? Absolutely. Um, so the the NAB Leadership Foundation, which was originally the NAB's Education Foundation, was founded back in uh, 1994. We're go- we're coming up on our 30th anniversary here, and uh, initially the foundation uh, was was founded is very similarly to what BEA does, the Broadcast Education Association, to work with um, professors and give them the opportunity to get real life experience in the industry. And over time, we've evolved to really set up uh, individuals who are the future leaders for our industry in radio and television. And so we do that through a series of programs and I look forward to, to talking about them in more detail here today. But we offer programs at the collegiate level designed to attract students and or recent college graduates to our industry. And we offer programs at the executive level, which um, you, of course, are familiar with our broadcast leadership training program. Um, in addition to that, we've offered, we partner with BEA on career fairs. Um, we offer our celebration of Service to America Gala, which just took place last week. And the, the ultimate mission of the foundation is uh, diversity, to advance diversity in our industry to develop the next generation of leaders in our industry and to highlight the community service efforts um, of of television and radio stations across the country. It it is pretty incredible. I mean, as you've alluded to, and we'll talk more in detail later, I was part of the broadcast leadership training uh, class of 2021. Um, But I'd rather start with the technology apprenticeship program. So I know that you recently finished receiving applications for that. Um, Can you tell us more about what that is and who it's designed for? How many people go through the program every year? How long has that program been going on? I'd like to hear more about that. Sure. Yeah. And applications are still still open for that. Oh, fantastic. Okay. Yes. So there are opportunities for any uh, college students that are listening and or recent college graduates or in some instances, career changers who are interested uh, can participate in our technology apprenticeship program. It is now in its 12th year, and um, the program was started because we hear a lot from radio and television managers that they 
um, there's a dearth of individuals in technology and engineering, and there's a dearth of individuals in sales. And so that's why our two programs that we'll talk about today at the collegiate level really focus squarely in those areas. That hasn't changed over all of these, this time. And so the technology apprenticeship program has evolved. It was designed to place these students in internships at stations. And as we've conducted additional research, we, we do feel that these internships are important, um, but we also feel that preparing these students and educating them about the opportunities that exist in terms of technology and engineering in radio and television is, is far more critical. We realized that we were trying to solicit all these students for these internships, and the majority of them had no idea that this opportunity was even an option for them. And so when we are at the Black Engineers Conference or the IEEE Conference or any other place that we're attracting students interested in engineering and or students that are interested in technology, they're always scratching their head and wondering, why would broadcasters be here on site? And so our program is designed to attract these um, students to this um, to, to participate over this six month period. We offer training online and then it culminates with them. We will start with them in person and we'll end with them in person. We like to put our hands on the students. Uh, and I say that meaning that uh, that gives us an opportunity to look them in the eye, that gives them motivation to understand more about what we do in the foundation and what our industry does. And it gives us the opportunity to pair them with mentors um, and really, really encourage them to consider careers in the industry once they've completed it. Um, and so this year uh, in, in April, they, uh, the class of 2022 graduated. Next year in April, it'll be the class of 2023. Super excited to have about 15 uh, young women and men who are um, right now available for hire and or for internships in the industry uh, to work in te technology and engineering. That is fantastic because, I mean, you know, I'm just coming from the radio side. We were always looking for good tech people and good technology people. But um, and I love this program. I love that you're targeting college students and, you know, just introducing them. Yeah, you can be in broadcasting. You can do what you love and be in broadcasting. It's very interesting. I love that. Um, so similarly, the Media Sales Academy is directed towards juniors, seniors, and, and recent college grads. And, and of course, this is sales oriented. So can you tell us a little bit more about the Media Sales Academy and how long that's been going on um, and what kind of success rate you have for job placement in media sales after graduating from the program? Yeah, sure. Um, so the Media Sales Academy is in its 22nd year. Wow. Um, yeah, it's been around. It's uh, the same as BLT. Uh, it's it's one of our legacy initiatives. It was originally started at Howard University and it grew eventually to be at several other universities. But we decided to, um, after years and years of research and reframing this program to get back to the success level that we enjoyed in early years, which was about 80% placement, um, we realized that we needed to, to, to do a concerted effort, make a concerted effort to identify students who really wanted to go into the business side of the industry. What we found was we started to attract students who were like, oh, sales, you know, or media, they saw the word media and figured, well, this is a way into a programming job or an on-air position. Mm -hmm. 
And we weren't having the success that we wanted to have with the program with individuals ending up in sales. So we did an extensive survey. Uh, and we've done this kind of on both the um, sales, which is far more extensive than the one we did for the technology piece. But we asked students questions and we asked broadcasters questions that were juxtaposed. So we said, students, you know, where do you find your um, how do you start your career? What are you looking for? What will be your deciding factor? And they said, we usually will pick based on our internship. We asked mm -hmm. broadcasters and they were like, oh, we don't offer internships. You know, we said, students, what do you expect once you start your job? They said, we want training and we want to, um, you know, be, if you will, monitored for a period of time so that we can ensure that we'll, we'll be successful. And broadcasters were like, well, I don't know, you know, maybe Mary can spend a little time with you, you know, but we don't really have any formal training. And so we realized that there was education that needed to happen on both sides. So we reframed the Media Sales Academy program so that it was six months. It was a 10-day boot camp initially, mm -hmm. and it's six months. And very much like the technology apprenticeship program, it starts and ends with in-person sessions. And then in between, students are paired with mentors, and they receive uh, lots of educational information around a career in media sales. We have very targeted outreach as well. We look for uh, students who um, are members of either Pi Sigma Epsilon, which is a sales fraternity for college students. They know they want to graduate. They know they want to go into sales. And they're fairly malleable in terms of where they do that. Mm -hmm. uh, so we want to put the media opportunity in front of them because many of them don't know that that's even an option. And uh, and so we're... we're um, we're moving along and we've had lots of uh, success with exposure and we have had some placement. I will say that we we could use more placement. And I think that um, that really depends on stations being open to offering sales internships. I can't express how critically important that is. And it's why we opened our program to juniors, seniors, and recent college graduates. We realized that the two programs, which were both focused, technology apprenticeship and media sales, on recent college graduates, that's just too late to the party. By then, they've had their internships, they've made their decision on an industry, and we were training these students, and they were going off to insurance and other places. And so now we've got the we've got um, the the program uh, back on course, where students have a sincere interest in media sales, but it's it's um, it's hugely dependable uh, dependent on stations. Um, hiring them for internships or entry-level positions. Um, I'll also say that it's also it's worth uh, some consideration in you know potential partnership with several in industry in entities at some point. Looking at the salary issue, um, we get these students. They come out. They don't have any clue what a draw is or what that means, yeah. and that's frightening for them. Um, and so they they you know, really want to go into it. But when they talk to their parents and they're like, and there's this thing, you know, <laughs> their parents are like, no, you should go work for Dell or you should go work wherever they're getting this other sales opportunity. So looking at how we structure our pay for entry level roles is critical. They expect to um, to get commissions. They expect that. And they're actually wildly open to working in small markets, which mm -hmm. is you know, at least that's what they've told us. Um, but we really need to think about how we structure that pay so that we can attract the best candidates. 
And I've heard, I mean, especially within the last year, um, at the very least, first of all, everybody's looking to hire, right? Especially in sales, they're looking, they're open, they want, you know, entry level. So how would a station, I mean, somebody listening right now and say, I have open positions, like, do they reach out to you? Do they reach out to the AV? Like, how do they get connected with these students that have been through this program if they are willing to hire, train and give them all the support that you're talking about? Absolutely. Yeah, that is um, that's another thing. They have to participate in the program and, and it's very low, low cost. We we charge like a nominal fee for participating in the recruitment piece. These students in the media sales program, once they've gone through the program, do a mock sales pitch to a room of hiring managers. Mm-hmm. And those managers then have the opportunity to participate in a career fair. It's very intimate, mm-hmm. as you can imagine, with up to upwards of maybe 20, 25 students and maybe, you know, as, as few as 20 recruiters. So you get to really interview every single student that's participated and you've seen the skills that they bring to the table because you've watched them during this mock sales pitch. And so participating in that, and yes, that's just a matter of outreach to me, Um, participating as a mentor in the program, either of the two gives you one-on-one direct contact with students and or becoming a speaker in the program. So these are low or no cost options for um, individuals in our business to directly engage with talented individuals looking for opportunities in engineering, sales, and technology. And what you said about compensation as well, I think is a conversation that's being had across all levels, across all stations, you know, TV, radio, everything. Um, and, and not just to attract new students or new employees or anything, but even retaining current ones and attracting more senior reps, if you will, um, the salary plus commission as opposed to the draw. And I mean, I think that's a conversation that's not just about new talent, but very interesting what you're saying that that matters, you know, and you might pick a different industry as a graduating senior interested in sales because of something like the draw that might make you and your family nervous. Absolutely. I mean, you you imagine we've got a long way to go just to educate students that I mean, and it's just, it's not just, you know, technology, engineering, and sales. I mean, who knows what a traffic manager is? And and did, did you even know that you could work in finance or HR? So many other layers of opportunities that we offer in our industry that students just aren't aware of. So that education piece is number one. And then once we've caught their attention, we can't scare them away with um, incredibly low pay. And, and that return on investment is exponential, I think, for stations um, that are willing to to take that step and say, hey, I, I've got to have some competitive compensation in order to get the best talent. I, I completely agree. I think back to my own experience and I growing up, I always knew I loved media and entertainment and I wanted to be part of it. But I also didn't want to be on TV or on the radio. And I didn't understand what the options were or the whole back side of all everything, like the back office and everything. Um, It wasn't until I went to college and I did my work study program at WXPN at at Penn where I saw a radio station and I saw all the layers and I was like, oh, I can have a career here. And so that was uh, my foray, if you will. But um, I think I probably would have wound up in finance and in banking had I not walked into a radio station and said, hey, do you have any jobs for me? So um, I love this. Yeah. Um, And okay, so you alluded 
previously to the BLT program, which is the broadcast leadership training. Um, this is very near and dear to my heart because I was, I am a proud graduate of the greatest BLT class of all time, which is the 2021 Pandemaniacs. Um, so I, I know others will say that theirs is the best, but the truth is my class was the best, and that's just facts. Um, but can you tell our audience and those that haven't been through the program a little bit more about it, what its purpose is, who it's aimed at, and, and uh, I mean, as you said, it's been going on for more than 20 years already. But talk a little bit more about BLT, please. Absolutely, yeah. And now in, uh, we just graduated our 22nd uh, group. Um, and so the 22nd class, um, I think their name is the Notorious BLT. And so they're out there excited now to join um, several, um, you know, other graduates. I think we're up to now 354 graduates, um, at least 65% uh, of whom have been promoted one or more times um, and or moved into higher ranking positions within the industry. And um, I think we have 59, right at 60, somewhere in there, 59, I think, graduates who are owners. Um, and so that's exciting for us. The program was started by Diane Sutter, um, who is still currently the dean of the program. Uh, once she made the purchase of her first station, she had a mentor who walked her through the process. And when she settled into her uh, her digs in Abilene, Texas, um, managing her first um, station that she owned, she realized, hey, you know, there's not a lot of folks that look like me that are owners. I, and so she decided to create uh, the Broadcast Leadership Training Program. It's a 10-month, once-a-month executive MBA-style program that meets on Friday, all day Saturday, and most of Sunday, um, with the goal of preparing um, senior-level broadcasters for even more senior-level positions in the industry and or ownership. And so we have the majority, as you might imagine, moving into the more senior level positions in the industry, but we have had owners. And the beauty of um, individuals who may not even have a focus on ownership, learning about the ins and outs of ownership, is that they, they begin to understand the corporate structure more. They begin to understand why they get certain requests from corporate and um, and uh, how to manage their station in more of an entrepreneurial fashion. And so uh, the program is is amazing. Uh, you know, it's it's intense. Um, it's highly competitive to be selected uh, in terms of getting into the, the program, but we've got grads everywhere, many of whom are NAB board members, other leaders in the industry, actively involved in their state associations. And um, and so that's what it's all about, you know, and, and that's the beauty of it. And they all come back to give back um, to the industry. So many of the mentors that I mentioned for the other two initiatives are BLT grads. Wow. And I mean, as, as I said, I am a graduate. And if there's anybody listening that has any thoughts or inclination that they might want to be a market manager, market president, whatever you want to call it, uh, someday or own stations or, you know, I wouldn't even know how to start or think about that. You must apply. I mean, there's just no other there's no other education like a BLT education. Um, and I I did I studied business as an undergrad and I spent plenty of time in radio stations. And still, this is just a totally different view, a totally different view of the business and how it all works and how it fits together, how to get financing. And even if you don't plan on ever needing to get financing, 
not understanding the process is going to make you much better at your job at, like you said, in these senior positions, because you're understanding what your bosses are doing in order to get financing and why they're asking, as you said, the questions they're asking and, and need what they need. Um, it's, it's an amazing program. And uh, there is, it, like, I agree, it's very competitive to get in. It's competitive once you're in there because we're all type A, very strong people, but it's also just, it's a fraternity. Like you, once you join, you're in, you can pick up the phone and call anybody, any graduate, any year, ask the question, need help. Um, and it, it's pretty special. Uh, but yeah. Uh, yeah, Our graduates are our best uh, cheerleaders and, you know, best advocates for the program. And I mean, you are a shining example of how the program works in, in a success story um, from from the BLT ranks. And so I appreciate all that you're saying about it and, and definitely encourage anyone who has similar aspirations in the industry. Again, we're all about um, developing future leaders and doing what we can to just enhance what you already bring to the table. And BIA does do uh, a session usually every year. And uh, Mark Patrick, who usually does that session, he's retiring and, and that's the role that I'm essentially stepping into. So uh, it'd be um, quite an honor and a pleasure uh, that in the next couple of years, who knows, I might be presenting at a at a BLT session. But that would be um, amazing. <laughs> there's my little plug. Hey, uh, bring me in. Um, so. Tell me what's next for the Leadership Foundation. So uh, what I've been hearing a lot so far is that what the Leadership Foundation does is identify gaps that are being experienced, whether it's, you know, students and, and, and education or things like that, or um, diversity and uh, of ownership and things to that nature. And then they work on filling those gaps. So uh, what new things is the foundation working on and uh, what problems are you trying to solve for your members? Absolutely. Yeah. So we are... Um, we have a new initiative that we're about to launch. Um, uh, Hearst Television um, CEO uh, Jordan Wortlieb approached us about one of our board members, Emerson Coleman, who is about to retire. And uh, we've partnered now to launch the Emerson Coleman Fellowship. That program will be for uh, students um, who are interested in um, programming, television programming, and content production. So producing local content um, for either corporations and or local stations. And so that program will be another six month program uh, that will launch in January. Applications will open up in the fall. And the goal is to um, diversify the ranks of individuals who are uh, working with syndicators, making programming decisions, contributing content um, at a national level, but with an eye toward local um, stations. And so we're really excited about that um, initiative. Um, and, you know, we keep our eye out for, as you've just indicated, gaps that exist. And when we identify partners who are willing to help us with identifying and um, raising resources, then, then uh, those are those are things that we look to launch. We used to offer a continuum of programming where our collegiate programs led to another initiative that was designed for someone with three to five years in the industry, and then another one who was a new manager and so forth, all the way through to BLT. And over the course of, of time, 
um, and due to the resources and so forth and in swings within the industry, we've put a couple of initiatives on hiatus. And so we may be looking at relaunching some of those. We get outreach for individuals who are new managers or who are interested in positioning themselves for management so that we have a continuum of contact and training available for individuals to push through our industry. And we're right there with them the entire way. So that's something that we we will probably start to, to gear ourselves towards. Um, and of course, we're excited that uh, now our Service to America Gala is a television show that started during the pandemic. Um, it was very wildly successful for us. And uh, this year was the first year that we did both the in-person event and we recorded it uh, for a television show that will air uh, July 9th through August, I believe, 14th on um, local stations across the nation. Uh, we're very thrilled to have every network and they're owned and operated. And we have tons of affiliate stations that air. I think it aired on about 800 stations last year. So that number's grown. And we're just excited to share with the general public the great work that local radio and television stations are doing in their communities. Yeah, absolutely. That is That sounds fantastic. I love how just the foundation has their ear to the ground. Like you're constantly listening, taking the feedback and adjusting. You know, I mean, just because you've been doing a program forever doesn't mean it's relevant now. And just because you stopped doing one doesn't mean it won't be relevant five years from now. But you're really constantly evolving and listening and reacting to what the needs are of both up and coming people, current people, you know, senior leadership and just helping all facets of, of our media industry, which is wonderful. Yeah, thanks for recognizing that. That's certainly the goal of our board of directors and our team. And similar sort of to that vein, um, you're the NAB's chief diversity officer um, for all of the NAB. So, uh, and I'd like to dig in a little bit more. Can you tell us a little bit more about the initiatives that you're working on right now to increase diversity in media? Um, well, you know, uh, what's in development, you know, what what should people on this podcast that are listening to this podcast be looking out uh, in terms of that from the NAV? Absolutely. Uh, so so it didn't take us long, um, you know, to realize that as NAB, we can't, of course, and wouldn't mandate um, that stations become more diverse or corporations become more diverse, but that we can be a resource. We can provide information. We can be a conduit um, for for making the right connections uh, to individuals and or organizations that stations need to link up with so that they can begin to build out their own diversity strategies. And so that's what we try to be at NAB. We offer a, um, a diversity resource center that's online. Uh, you can find that, actually it's on the foundation's website, but it's it's open and it's it's free to all. It's consistently updated. It has consultants and resources and organizations that you can kind of look through as you're beginning to build out your own diversity strategy. We also do some webinars where we um, talk about various topics that emerge. I spend a lot of time speaking at state broadcast association um, meetings and or um, web events uh, and or with their boards of directors uh, to talk about as they are launching or as independent stations are launching their diversity strategies, where they can look for resources or 
um, hire the best consultants and or begin to build out their strategy. And as such, um, we found that this resource center has been very valuable for that. And, and we also take the topics that come up in those conversations to create webinars. Um, and then finally, we also have our, um, our diversity symposium. We did the first in-person one at the NAB show in April. Prior to that, we've done one in the fall. Um, and we plan to do another in-person one in the fall at NAB New York. So our goal is to really be there as a resource um, to provide lots of information for stations. And then listen, again, you know, keep that ear to the ground in, in this role as well in terms of the needs of the industry that it makes sense for NAB to be there um, for and, and provide. That's wonderful. And I love that you uh, are so cognizant of everybody's needs are different and everybody's in a different place on this journey, if you will, or you know, in, in terms of where they are and what what resources they need. And so you're trying to kind of help everybody by offering uh, some are more advanced, some are less advanced, some you know need more help than others. But um, that's I think that's really important that you're not trying to provide one solution for everyone because that's just not going to be feasible. Absolutely. What I've um, what I've also noticed is that many um, uh, corporations in the industry have identified um, others, chief diversity officers. So this role has become popular and, and I have to give kudos to the business for that. Um, I have gotten to know many of these individuals in, in the role. And so there are some companies that have a point person. And when you do, you have someone accountable and they're actually able to execute. But then you have smaller market stations that have a sincere interest. And so we want to be there for that large corporation that has a chief diversity officer who's um, getting things done, but could also use some additional feedback all the way to the small market station that's like, how do I even get started in this um, right. to provide tools and, and information? Super fascinating. And I, I love that work. I'm, I'm so uh, so glad that you're part of that because it's just going to be amazing to watch that blossom and, and just the effects that it's going to have on media through the next years and years and years because what you're building now is going to grow. And, and so we're just getting started here. So it's super exciting. Um, my last and most important question of the day. Um, so BLT 21 was your favorite class of all time, right? You, you can tell me the truth. Yeah. <laughs> BLT 21 was absolutely my most favorite class that year. Oh, I was like, no. Um, so we're going to edit this podcast and cut off the that year part. And you heard it here first, everybody. Uh, comments by Michelle Duke in BLT 21, the greatest class of all time. Um, but in all seriousness, Michelle, I cannot thank you enough for being here today. I truly enjoyed this conversation and I learned a lot about NAB's Leadership Foundation and the NAB's Diversity and Equity Initiatives. Um, I'd also like to thank our audience for tuning in and be sure to check out future BIA podcasts where we will continue to bring industry insights and thought leaders such as Michelle straight to you. If you have an idea of something you'd like to, for us to cover, let us know. Send us an email at podcast at BIA.com. Have a great day. And again, Michelle, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Nicole. It was my pleasure. All right. We'll talk to everybody soon.